This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The most valuable, I think, falls into a couple of buckets. It's their ability to produce good content in a number of forms that again, best embodies your brand, is, is on brand. Um, and secondly, it's their ability to, you know, reach as many of your target consumers as, as they can. And that's clearly can happen with, you, you know, them participating in particular tournaments, working shows, uh, you know, doing things with outdoor riders, whether those are national or local. Uh, you know, wherever they can partner with somebody and either, you know, because they're in a, have an audience, outdoor show as an example, or, you know, they're using a, a vehicle such as an outdoor rider to generate content. Um, I think that's the couple of things in a nutshell you're looking at. You know, how do they take your brand messaging and, and amplify it? Mm-hmm. This is the best way to say it, I think. Hey folks, I'm Bob Bagby, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. One of the most frequently asked questions that I get is associated with sponsorship. Sponsorship is something that seems to be, I don't know, a big mystery to a lot of people. And it was a big mystery to me too. It was something that I had no idea how someone would get sponsored by a company. And I had a lot to learn. And the gentleman that we have on the podcast today is one of the people who taught me a tremendous amount about sponsorship through working with him and giving me a chance and then kind of showing me the right way to do things and, you know, pointing out some of the wrong ways to do things. His name's Bob Bagby, 
and he worked in the industry for over 30 years, uh, managing the relationships with Bill Dance, Kevin Van Dam, Gerald Swindle, Shaw Grigsby, myself, Rich Tudor, Robert Trossett, on and on and on down the line. He comes to us with a different perspective, being on the other side of the table, and he's been really, really kind today to um, give us all a little bit of, uh, of his knowledge. And his knowledge is deep, and um, it, can all, it can help anybody that listens to it to either become better at approaching a company for sponsorship or figuring out how to align yourself with the right people if you're on the other side of the table. So in, that was the idea for the podcast. That was what I was trying to accomplish, and I hope I did. All right, stay tuned for a great uh, conversation with Bob Bagby. Bob Bagby, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Man, can't complain. It's my birthday, actually. Um, it is? Yeah. Well, happy birthday. Did you know that? It- no, it's it's my uh, oldest son's birthday. Is that right? August 19th. Huh? Yeah. Well, now we dated the podcast. How old are you? What are you going to say? Oh, I'll be happy to say. I'm 52. I can't wait to be 55, though. Um, really? Well, that's my, yeah. Because I do those silly fitness competitions, you know, and right. and right now I am expected to do the same weights as the 18-year-old uh, elite 25-year-old elite athletes, and quite honestly, it's more than a little fatiguing. So at 55, the weights drop. So I'm really looking forward to that. But So this one is not, not really special. Like there's no big milestone. I've already passed the 50, and uh, right. now I'm just at 52. It's kind of like another just another day, honestly. <laughs> the only weight I'm doing is 50-pound bags of corn in, in deer feeders. I can see That's that. You got, you, you got Bucky right behind you, or, or though that might not be Bucky. You got one that you have a nickname for. Yes, and I do silly things with him on social media. <laughs> I know, I know, I follow you on social media, um, and so just just so that people uh, are aware, if somebody instead of waiting till the very end to to give people uh, the social media handles of the guest on the podcast, I've decided that it might be better instead of waiting till there's only two or three people dwindling around listening to the very last minutes of the podcast uh it might be better and and serve the guests better if we talked about that right now how does somebody follow you on social media uh well my my company is at lone arrow marketing uh on instagram and then lone arrow marketing on facebook so uh, obviously my company is lone arrow marketing which is a hunt fish consulting business and the reason it's lone arrow is because it's me yes well that's that's a little bit of a change um so so just to give every i'm going to try to i'm going to try to do you service and and give you some sort of an introduction um my friend bob bagby here that we're talking to today he worked for zebco for 30 years not only doing that i mean you did a number of things at at zebco and quantum but you managed a lot of the sponsorship relationships and and took those kind of very you, a very personal relationship there with people like mm-hmm. Bill Dance, Shaw Grigsby, um, uh, myself, Kevin Van Dam, uh, probably with Major League Fishing and Bassmaster and and uh, FLW and on and on every magazine writer that's ever written a word about 
freshwater or saltwater fishing, probably um, a very, very extensive resume in sponsorship. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today or at all, uh, other than your funny stories that we have in common and many that we don't have in common, uh, I do want to go over those one day. But um, one of the big reasons that I wanted to do this podcast is because I want to talk about sponsorship. And I have a lot of people that ask about sponsorship. I want to talk about it in a way that it will serve the companies in the industry of hunting, fishing, outdoor industry, so that athletes, anglers, hunters, sportsmen, whatever, that are coming looking for sponsorship have a much better idea of, of what they can give to the company that is of value so nobody's, get, nobody's wasting any time, right? And then also, I want it to serve those anglers, hunters, athletes, whatever, that are seeking sponsorship and really don't understand what this relationship might look like because it's kind of confusing. So you're very interesting to me because, you know, it'd be great to talk to Kevin or Bill Dance about uh, sponsorship. They obviously know a tremendous amount about sponsorship, but they are on one side of the table and you're on the other side of the table. Like you're the one that's making the decision. You're the one that's deciding this is a better uh, fit for our marketing than this guy. This one is a long-term relationship versus this. Like that's a lot of the stuff that I want to talk to you about. And, um, you know, I just want everybody, you know, just to put it out there, like this isn't just necessarily just a how-to sponsorship. It's really kind of hopefully we'll get to the point to where both parties, the companies that want sponsorship relations and the anglers and hunters that want sponsorship relations both have a better idea of how to how to make that happen. Right. Yeah. So um, let's, let's just kind of go back to just from your perspective, like what would you consider sponsorship? Like you hear that, that term thrown around a lot, like sponsorship, or I've got my sponsors or we sponsor this guy in your, in your opinion, from a manufacturing point of view, or now from your consulting point of view, um, what, Explain that relationship. Well, I, I would say if you boil it down, you know, to its essence, I, I think that companies are looking for sponsorships or any other touch points that that they have as an extension of that brand and to convey the essence and 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 the persona of that brand, and, and so. You know, if, if in my mind, if companies take sponsorship as one element of their of their marketing messaging seriously, they're trying to find the right fit with whether that's an angler, a hunter, uh, influencer, whatever that best embodies, you know, the the personality, the persona of their brand, because you know, with all the touch points available now to this potential person you're going to sponsor, there's, you know, they're going to be seen in a lot of different, you know, environments and, and they better be representing your brand in the right way. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, when you're making that decision and like, I remember like when we first started uh, our relationship, you and, and Zebco Quantum had a major goal. Your goal was to get into saltwater. 
right? So that's going to be a a major goal. You're going to have some budget put behind that. And it's going to be your job to go out and develop these relationships that are going to help you accomplish your marketing goals. So how, how would you do that? Or how does a company do that? Um, you know, when you have that, that objective set forward for you? Well, you know, it obviously starts with, with a marketing plan. I mean, we would typically put together, you know, what we would call a long range plan, which was typically a rolling kind of three year thing. And so you mentioned saltwater. At some point we said, you know, we're going to penetrate the more premium side of the saltwater market. And what are the things that we need to do from a product development standpoint and a go to market standpoint, as well as sales and distributions an element of it. But that wasn't necessarily my major focus. And so, you know, you're kind of lining up your goals and objectives and saying, um, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? Which if you're entering a new market space, you know, typically the first goal is is just, you know, is just uh, impressions, just, just to kind of introduce yourself to the market and generate as many impressions, uh, quality impressions as you can to make sure that potential consumers know you're in the space. Okay. And so how are you going to, how are you going to do that? Are you going to go and specifically like in the fishing business, are you going to immediately say, okay, well, we need to kind of hook up with uh, some anglers that we think are going to represent the brand the way that we want it represented, or are you going to look to magazines? Are you going to look to television shows or what's the plan at that point? Well, the easy answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, all the fancy terminology now of, of paid media, earned media, you know, things like that. But I mean, I don't think anybody, particularly in an enthusiast category, certainly, as you well know, you know, most brands have cut back on traditional media, I'd call it, print and TV, but there's three if not four or five dedicated networks to hunting and fishing, the enthusiast category, you, you know, it's very easy to target that consumer. And there's a lot of, you know, whether it's TV and print, um, consumers still consume that kind of media as well as the very targeted social, you know, blogs, whatever all the other kind of digital vehicles are. And so, you know, I still see most brands, um, you know, kind of going through and allocating their marketing dollars against what I call mass communication all the way down to very targeted communication. And then where pro staff or influencers come in, to me, is almost sort of in that grassroots PR, you know, kind of very targeted to a type of fishing, whether that's bass fishing, professional angling, whatever it is, as just part of that overall marketing mix. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you, when you kind of um, identify some people that you, that you may want or the type of person that you may want, how then uh, does, does that next step happen? Well, you know, I think it's a two-way street. I mean, there were cases where folks came to us or we had reps in the field 
or another angler or a outdoor rider, whoever it might be, say, this person is awesome. If you're looking for somebody, you should, you should check them out. Uh, the other side of the equation is obviously, you know, folks reaching out to us and that's, you, you know, that's what separates the men from the boys or I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, disenfranchise the females, but that, that expression, it's, you know, you as a potential gaining sponsorships, your ability to market yourself is huge in today's world. So, but it could happen either way. Um, and you know, it, me personally, I mean, we always felt like quality over quantity. Um, that was just our goal. So we tended to align with, you know, the who's who in certain categories or folks that we thought, you know, really, um, could generate a large audience. Whereas not to say that we didn't have lots of discounted product deals and things like that out there with, you know, various guides or what have you, but there are other brands I see out there that, that do more of the, I'll just sign up as many folks as I can. And, you know, and I think that, you know, the mindset is a little bit, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong is that, you know, if the consumer sees, Oh my gosh, it seems like everybody's sponsored by this real company or this lure company. Uh, it must be the thing, you know? So, and I think there's an element of that, but it, it all comes down to dollars. You know, your, your marketing dollars, you have a fixed budget, whatever that is. $100,000, a million dollars, $10 million. Um, and you've got to do, you know, in a, in a position like I had or, you know, whoever my my peers would be in other companies, that's, boy, that's a tough thing because you're always trying to say, if I do this, I can't do that. And where do I think the best bang for the buck is? Well, that's, that's pretty cool um, as far as like how that works. Now, when you have somebody that... Um, is going to come to you. What do you think are the most valuable things that someone can bring to a company? Um, and what are the least valuable things? Well, I mean, in a nutshell to me, it, the most valuable, I think falls into a couple of buckets. It's their ability to produce good content in, in a number of forms that again, best embodies your brand is, is on brand. Um, and secondly, it's their ability to, you know, reach as many of your target consumers as, as they can. And that's clearly can happen with, you, you know, them participating in particular tournaments, working shows, uh, you know, doing things with outdoor writers, whether those are national or local, uh, you, you know, wherever they can partner with somebody and either, you, you know, because they're in a, have an audience outdoor show as an example, or, you know, they're using a, a vehicle such as an outdoor rider to generate content. Um, I think that's the couple of things in a nutshell you're looking at, you, you know, how do they take your brand messaging and, and amplify it mm -hmm. this is the best way to say it, I think. So as, as things have changed, certainly from, from my first sponsorship opportunity to, to now, we've had significant changes. The internet yeah. being 
a, a major one. And before the internet, it was basically television shows, newspapers, and magazines. And now you you take that and and multiply it exponentially with social media, blogs, websites, YouTube, videos, um, Waypoint, things like things like all of those things amplify that message greatly. And it also makes more people, gives more people the ability to have a large audience, right? So mm-hmm. how do you think that changed over your career? How did you start to, to try to make decisions as these new media platforms become available? Are some more valuable yeah. than others, I guess is what I'm saying? You know, I, I, I mean, one, one thing that I think about is if I think back to, you know, the typical pro contract we would have had 15, 20 years ago, it would be talking about things like wearing logos of a certain size on your jersey, wearing one of our hats on one day of the tournament, you know, things like that. Uh, contracts today, and I'm sure if if somebody's you know, in my mind, if, if if they're doing what they should be doing, there's all these deliverables in there of social media, of what hashtags to use for the brand, of this, that, and the other thing. And there's true deliverables because, you know, the interesting, not interesting, but the facts of digital marketing now, you can measure everything, uh, inclusive of your pro staff's performance if you're paying attention. And, and there's even, you know, some, some online tools that folks have developed that assimilates, you know, all of the uh, tagged images, posts, whatever they all are that your pro staff is doing on your behalf. So, you know, it's, it's, if you allocate the resources to it, it's very easy to make sure that, that your influencers uh, are, 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 executing the deliverables that you've set up for them. Yeah. So when you have those kind of tools and stuff, it starts to kind of look like, well, that's the direction we should go because we can, we can see, uh, you know, the ROI or we can see how people are performing where traditional, more traditional media, like a television show or whatever, you got Nielsen ratings, but I don't know, does one start to lose it's um, it's value when when you get these different reporting tools. Is it the reporting tools that make it more valuable, or is it the platform itself? Well, I think it's ultimately the platform. I think the reporting tools are just a a vehicle. You know, modern marketers today, regardless of what business you're in, want to measure everything, and the folks that they report to <laughs> want to know. Are we, you know, are we getting the bang for the buck? And in traditional media, that was really hard, particularly in small, relatively small fishing companies where you couldn't spend a zillion dollars for, for, you know, Nielsen ratings and things of that nature um, or, or similar things. But, you know, if you have the right kind of digital capabilities or you're working with an agency that does you know, you can measure everything and you typically, you know, set up, um, you know, KPIs to, to say that this is what 
we're trying to accomplish and then you measure those things. So, you know, I think when you structure a influencer pro slash pro staff contract, you are mirroring what the company's trying to accomplish uh, in the way that you structure that in, in, in the relative framework. I mean, you're not obviously a pro staff guy's not tied to sales results or what have you, but, but they're an element of what you're trying to accomplish, whether that's reach a target audience, whether that's build, you know, a database of, of email folks or whatever it all is. Um, so, you know, I, I think one piece of advice I'd have for somebody kind of starting out is, is you kind of got to do some groundwork before, you know, if you just went out and won a tournament and then you go, I should be sponsored now. You're not most likely. Yeah. Well, that's a big <laughs> misconception. I mean, that is, right. that is, that is a big misconception with, with a lot of people that as soon as they win a, a tournament, that the sponsors are either going to be calling them or they deserve to be sponsored. Right. Right. So I think, you know, I think it's kind of being patient. It's being realistic and it's sort of being willing to put the work in, you know, and by patience, I mean, you know, and now you've got high school and college anglers. I mean, that's a heck of a venue to kind of start out and there's all kinds of brands aligning with that. And, and, you know, what a great way for a talented young angler. And of course we're primarily talking about bass fishing in, in that scenario, but you know, what a great way for an angler to start networking and all of that. But I mean, you got to put the work in. Nobody's in a sense going to come to you as somebody nobody's ever heard of or a young angler starting out. But but you, you've got more and more opportunities in today's world to start networking and building what I'd call a content library. Um, and that's what it's going to take. Uh, so, so at the time that you're like, okay, now I'm going to really start reaching out. If you can sort of show evidence that, Hey, you know, this is the kinds of things I'm doing beyond just performing relatively well in my fishing or that raises you to the top of the heap in a hurry versus hmm. just any other high school, college kids, regional tournament pros, whatever they all are that are just Hey, I finished 26th, 17th, third, you know, so, you know, and that's why I'm saying be patient and be willing to put the work in, you know, I would strongly advise folks to kind of build their own plan and start executing on that plan before they get the cart before the horse. It's interesting. It's also kind of interesting to see that um, as there are more platforms and more people have a, 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 fairly large audience size, some really big audience size. There seems to be kind of a, a balance there between one of the examples that you said, like I finished 17th, 3rd, 16th, 5th, 4th. These are all the tournaments that I'm doing, but I don't have any social media or, I, um, you know, this is basically what I'm doing. Well, I right. guess if you're good enough, that might be enough, you know, with, with somebody. I don't know. I, I want to ask you that. If you're if you're good enough and you win enough tournaments, then maybe you're the VJ Singh of of fishing. And but but it, there seems to be like a real magic uh, kind of sweet spot of 
I'm doing all these things here and I'm performing in the tournaments. I'm showing that I am good at what I do. And then over on this side, there's this other content creation of some sort. Right. Well, I would say this. I mean, if you're good enough, I mean, really, really good. You know, a lot of the content is kind of, in a sense, done for you because, you know, the brands you're already aligned with and, you know, outdoor media, whatever, are kind of coming to you. But by the same token, you know, without mentioning names, I know of a few way up there, you know, in professional tournament fishing that that don't take it seriously and aren't very good at it. And it's somewhat cost them. And then I know of others that are not bottom of the pack, but sort of mid to average, you know, tournament performance kind of guys that are really good at marketing themselves and, and representing their brands. And they've done exceptionally well with, with sponsor relationships. (laughs) So, I mean, it, it, it certainly is a balance. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you're a fitness guy, a CEO, or, or an angler, you've got to be good enough, you know, at your job to, to you know, for somebody to want to align themselves with you. But by the same token, you know, I look at it today like, especially if that's what you're going to do. If, if, if I'm a high college angler and I'm going to be a pro, and I've got support for my family or whatever it might take. It, it's, it's your business. That, that's how you have to look at it. I mean, this is my company. Um, and, and then ultimately, if, if, if I'm successful, the folks that I'm working with aren't direct employees, but they're partners, whether that's sponsors or, or whatever all that is. Um, you know, so you really have to look at it like, like, like I'm running a business. Um, and, and I think too many young folks in particular are very naive about that. Um, you know, and then you've got some really seasoned guys as this unbelievable transition has happened in the way consumers, uh, anglers and hunters consume, you know, content of their passion. You know, guys were like, <laughs> you know that's for young people type and no, it's not, you know, so there's probably a lot of guys that probably had to retire early and do other things because they weren't willing to change Mm. and didn't figure out how to change and adapt their business. And as you well know, and you, and you're the poster child for this, um, if you don't adapt, you die. Right. Whether that in any business, um, and, and just, you know, look at the Amazons of the world and folks that came out of nowhere and, and, and gave Walmart all they wanted or whatever on a, on a huge scale. I mean, that's the example, right? Yeah. You know, nobody said Walmart could ever be, you know, nobody could ever give Walmart a run for their money. And so you go all the way down and my, that's what you're kind of looking at. Adapt or die. Mm, yeah. you, know, you hear that a lot. Well, that kind of happened, you know. That Walmart was the kid, new kid on the block at one point, and Sears, you know, nobody will ever take down Sears. And right. Walmart looks at, like, really? Like, people like to shop here? Like, do you remember how you used to check out at Sears? It was it was antiquated and ridiculous. There were 
cash registers all over the store and you had to find somebody and they were working on commission and it was it was really not a pleasant experience and all it took is one guy to go in there and go uh yeah i think we can change this like let's make it more like a supermarket like everybody just right. goes up there and checks out and they're on their way and sure enough right. you know that turns out to be what wins out but it's kind of like you remember that grecian formula ad and he's the guy looks in the mirror and he's like wow it really snuck up on me <laughs> You know, and he's got the white hair on the side and he's like, yeah, it snuck up on you. It jumped on your shoulder and attacked your head. Uh, but that's kind of what happens with, with social media. Like a lot of the examples that you were saying of older people that were like, you know, not going to worry about that. I'm just going to put my focus on the tournaments. I'm going to put my focus over here. I'm going to do whatever. Well, you know, at, at first social media wasn't something to, to be overly concerned about. And then, you know, it, it kind of, once the tide changed, once the tide shifted, it really, really shifted. I mean, like kind of like the blockbuster video um, Netflix model. It's like Netflix is this little thing for a while until Netflix right. is this giant monster after, afterwards. And, but, but for people that remember before, the thought of taking down blockbuster video would be, it was crazy. That was, that was, ridiculous talk but that's kind of what i see that's happened in all industries is that you know digital and you can call digital whatever you want to call it like is that social media is it is it streaming is it whatever but digital seems to be overtaking traditional and uh right. not seems to be it seemed to be overtaking for a while and now there it's clear like it is a clear difference and so to right. not pay attention to that is, you know, it's like saying the internet's a fad, right? Like it's probably going to go away in a couple of years. But uh, right. so that you saw that firsthand that some people that didn't pay attention to it uh, had to retire, but other people that were early adopters were able to able to extend their career or create a whole new career. Yeah. And, and it has a snowball effect. It really does. I mean, when, particularly as a younger angler, when somebody is, you know, gets noticed and is doing a good job of content generation and, 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 you know, using digital tools in the right way, then, you know, because all, you know, it's a, as you well know, it, it's even though, you know, there's 50 million people at fish, the industry is relatively small and everybody knows everybody. And it's, you know, it's almost comical, how a lot of folks tended to move around and, <laughs> yeah. it, and so you go to ICAST or what have you, and it's always the same cast of characters. So, you know, most of the, you know, large, let's say larger brands typically know a good number of folks with other brands. You know, there's things that happen where they might, you know, join forces in a marketing effort or whatever. So anyway, if, if, somebody's starting to build a good relationship with an apparel company or whatever, you know, they'll typically go, Hey, if you guys are looking for somebody, we love this guy, you know, and it, and it really can snowball quickly for someone, you know, it's just kind of cracking the code and getting your foot in the door. And then it becomes easier and easier as you start to build that resume of sponsors as long as you're, you know, you're doing what that sponsor is, is, is wanting you to do. Yeah. And what about that? Like, 
how 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 do you know what a sponsor wants you to do? Like especially for like a a college bass angler or a high school bass angler or uh, uh you know a first year guide that and and especially even now like like what if there's not an ICAST? there wasn't an ICAST this year what if there's not one next year like how right. long does it take to to you know take your finger off the pulse and not kind of understand like you know you walk into an ICAST and you're like oh the trend this year is whatever ultra light fishing rods or the trend this year is is whatever surface lures like everywhere i look there's surface lures there's there's you know 12 if it doesn't have 12 ball bearings in it then it's worthless you know it, whatever there would be a trend each year uh like everybody's getting into saltwater or everybody now it's walleye or whatever but as you don't have eye cast uh every single year or you are one of these young interested anglers or outdoorsmen or whatever let's don't limit it to to just fishing how do you know what a sponsor wants say the easy answer is you ask, you know, I mean, the first thing I would do is, you know, I would structure a proposal. I mean, the classic thing you're going to get from a potential sponsoree, that's even a word, is a resume. But, you know, to me, I think where you raise some eyebrows is you give a, you know, a potential sponsor a proposal that says, you know, obviously it's a here's who I am, but here's what I can do for you. Um, and then if you can get that dialogue started, you know, then you get into, you know, here's what I look at your brand and and this is what, what I see that I can accomplish for you. You know, does that feel right or not? And if they say, well, this, this, and this, but really we're trying to do this over here or that, then you, then you started, you know, to make some headway. So, you know, the, I, it's, it goes without saying the hard part is getting the dialogue with a potential sponsor and the competition is fierce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the number of folks that reached out to us as well as other brands in the space, I'm sure is, is very much the same is almost overwhelming. Just like, there was the best job in the world that came up, how many resumes you'd get. So, you know, you got to think about it. Like, what can I do to stand out against all these other folks? And I'd say for the most part, the bar isn't that, isn't that high. (laughs) I mean, there's 10% of the potential sponsorees that are doing the kinds of things I'm talking about. And 90% are just, you know, mass communicate and firing stuff out there, they would work with any lure company, any whatever company. And and that's the other thing. I mean, decide in a sense who you want to be. You know, I I would have no interest in sponsoring somebody just because that was the one they happened to get in the door with versus, you know, what do you want personally as as this as this angler or hunter or content creator or whatever, do you really believe in that brand? Because if you can't really believe in what they're trying to do and what that brand's all about, it's pretty shallow. You know, it's going to ultimately come through. So, you know, I don't think anybody's fortunate enough to like go, I want Carhartt and I want Strike King and I want da 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 and tick them all off and, and ever like get 
the perfect portfolio, but by the same token, be sort of honest with yourself <laughs> and say, you know, and, and create that wish list. Um, and then if it falls through, go to your next list or whatever, but you got to be able to, again, like I said, very early on, you got to be able to represent the brand in the way they want to be represented. So if you're uh, the best example, maybe is if you're a real kind of introverted, you know, not very outgoing and you've got a really irreverent, you know, loud brand or whatever, you're not a good fit. Right. You're just not. So be realistic about it. So, you know, look, look at yourself and say, where would I, you know, what types of brands would I best align with and, and target those? And in today's world, let's say there isn't an ICAST next year, how, how do you suggest that people target a company? Like, how do you suggest that you communicate with that person that you're hoping to get time with? Well, I, I think there's no, you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with, you know, reaching out, you know, on their customer service portal, firing something out there. You know, typically the customer service folks will pass it along, whether the marketing folks really look at it or not it is, is who knows, but it's, you know, it's an avenue, but I would say the absolute best way to go about it, and there's no sort of cookbook way to do this, is networking. So, you know, you're, you're, you live somewhere. You're doing things on a regional level. You probably know local business owners. You probably know um, maybe some reps in the area. If you're fishing a lot of the local tournaments, there's those tournament organizers there's folks that are coming there. There are some folks that are aligning with local companies. You know, it's just your ability to network. Um, and, you know, what a lot of brands appreciate and the way we used what I'd call regional pro staffs in a big way is, is, is on more of a local level. Now, there's not as many folks really attending consumer shows as they once were, but it's still a thing. So at that, you know, what you call that grassroots level, if, if you can network with the right folks and really be willing to, hey, I'll help you out with a youth tournament thing you guys are doing, or I'll help you with, you know, an in-store promo or those kinds of things, whether you're sponsored by them or not, boy, that's a great way to kind of get in at the ground floor and show a work ethic and a willingness to you know, interact with consumers and all of that. And so there, to me, there's no shortcut to that. And, and, and so if you ultimately, and that happened with us, Kevin Van Dam came that way, oddly enough, he was actually working with one of our rep organizations. He's 17, something like that at the time. They're like, this kid is something and his personality is great. Da, 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 da. And, and, and it, and it was all true. Right. And we didn't know Kevin Van Dam was going to be Kevin Van Dam, but he had the right work ethic. He was talented. He had the right personality. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to work for him for up until a couple of years ago, his entire career. Uh, and, and it kind of happened at a grassroots local level. That's really interesting. I never heard that story about uh, Kevin with, with that relationship. Let me ask you this. 
going back those years, how many things did Kevin Van Dam in the very early days do for free? <laughs> a lot. And, and this is one thing I'd say about Kevin. Um, you know, obviously the last 20 plus years of his career, everybody wants a piece of him, right? But I mean, you can call that guy and you may not get him, but I promise you by the end of the day, he's returned your call. Uh, and that's hard to say about a lot of folks. Or he at least heard, you know, you heard from him. You got a text from him. Hey, I'm doing this couple day photo shoot or whatever it is. Is it okay? I mean, he would acknowledge that you tried to reach out to him and he would always get back to you. Uh, and that's, boy, for a guy like that, with that many irons in the fire, that's that's very admirable. And that's the other, you know, you in a sense, you can't over-communicate with one of your brands and one of your sponsors. Um, brands really appreciate hearing from you. Um, the good and the bad, you know, and if it's bad, there's products that, that are causing a problem. You got to be diplomatic about it, but but that's what a brand wants to know, you know, is what's working and what's not, whether that's product, whether that's some marketing initiatives they're trying to accomplish or whatever. But, you know, I've worked with some folks that went, well, your stuff just sucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just, it's totally one-sided. It's like, you're really affecting my ability to perform or whatever, you know. It's just, you know, all products have issues from time to time. And, and if brands are doing the right things, they're also using their brand ambassadors as a way to get better. So, um you know, I would say if you're on my side of the fence or at, on on the brand side, that's one thing you ought to be looking at is 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 you know don't just reach out for the good, you know, reach out for the bad too as a, as an opportunity to, to to help your product or your marketing messaging or your brand improve. Hmm. So it's interesting because I guess a lot of people would be you know maybe afraid. I don't want to anything bad about this. I don't want to jeopardize this relationship, but in a lot of ways, that's the only reason that you're there. Like if you're like, one of the questions I was going to ask um, for the benefit of the audience is, you know, how can someone that is just a, a, a fishing guide that fishes, you know, 200 days a year, how can he be of value to a company like a Kevin Van Dam, you know, which is obviously doing somebody something so much more. But in in a lot of ways, you know, that that person that's out there 200 days a year might provide a value that Kevin Van Dam can't provide because he doesn't have enough time or enough bandwidth or or whatever. So, like, what are what are your thoughts on that? Like a fishing guide versus a tournament angler, or a, or you know, somebody like that. I think I think they're both extremely valuable for a different reason. And if you look at guides, there, there's a couple things. Obviously, they don't have mass touch points necessarily, but they've got folks in their boat each and every day that are most likely using the equipment that they use. So, you know, that guide's ability to provide a good experience and as the opportunity presents itself, you know, recommend subtly and represent, you know, the rods, reels, lures, hooks, whatever it is, 
then that person's going to go back and go, man, I really like that stuff. You know, and then it, you know, tends to word of mouth is extremely strong in this industry with consumers. And that's always one of the highest ranking reasons in market research that somebody bought something is because somebody they trust that's an accomplished angler um, recommended that. So if that guide recommends to his client who recommends to their family or their fishing buddy, you know, there's a lot of residual effect to that. The other thing we use guides for a lot is, is for the true kind of field testing, if you will. The, the 200 day a year guy is using and abusing your products. And he's all, and it's also being used by the more average consumer. So you tend to find a lot of things that you can't find in your, in your company field testing or, or your test lab, if, if you have one, um, or what have you. And, and so, you know, some of the guides we work with really rose to the top of being really good communicators. And we would send them, you know, first off tooling and things like that. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a skill set that you don't see very often. Your typical guide, I'm going to stereotype them, but doesn't tend to be a great communicator. And, and I see one of the reasons why they're up at daylight, fish till dark, got a rig tackle, got to do all that. They don't want to really sit down there and bang out emails or make a phone call or whatever. Well, not to mention that they just talked to somebody for 12 hours and they get home. (laughs) And this is the, this is the, the uh, end of a lot of guide marriages is you go out, you entertain someone for eight to 10 hours, 12 hours, you get home. The last thing you want to do is entertain someone, your wife, the one person that needs to be entertained more than anyone in your life. And, right. and they get neglected and, uh, you know, other communication can too, but a lot of fishing guides are great communicators. They just right. run out of energy, you know, like, right. oh, I can't imagine sitting down at that computer right now. That would be horrible. Right. Yeah. Now, you, you know, it's pretty common to see a, a, an organization of guides, right? I mean, somebody's put together a company and they've got six or eight guides that are working for them. And, um, you know, they end up being the, the business guy, the communicator, the, and I've seen that be very successful, you know, where somebody that's got some business savvy, you know, and, and let's say there's a group of flats guys in the keys somewhere, you know, if those guys put together a pretty snappy, you know, well-designed business of, of six guys or whatever, your odds of getting sponsors and building a much more successful business than doing it on your own, I think go up exponentially. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're one of those six that I just want to do my thing, look for permit for 12 hours, and then I want to go home, that's not a bad plan, you, you know, is to align yourself with, with you, you know, either something that pre-exists or you know, if you're five or six guys coming up in the ranks, think about starting your own business, you, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, it is possible to be a successful guide and never have a sponsorship relationship. Yes. Like, I mean, but it can help. And a lot of times people get into the sponsorship kind of business and they don't necessarily need to, like a, like a fishing guide for example, that 
you know, you can pay for all your stuff. You make, you make good money. You're, you're, you're working hard. And what maybe some people don't realize is that as you develop these sponsorship relationships, it's, there's no free lunch. Like they're not just going to send you stuff and expect nothing in return. So you may be asked to go to a boat show. You may be asked to go to a consumer show, maybe attend ICAST, which some of those can be great residual benefits to you. Like, like when you, you asked me to come to ICAST for the first time, uh, to represent your brand. And, and that worked out great for me. I met tons of people and it was fantastic, but at the same time, I'm not fishing. So some some people might say, well, I'm losing money. Like I could have right. booked five days and, you know, and I'm charging, you know, $800 a day. That's a lot of money. But right. so in that situation, maybe it's just easier to buy the tackle or to get on a, get on a, uh, a, a discount program and not have these re- responsibilities of, of doing things for the company or, or standing the chance to have to say no once you've struck a deal with somebody to have to say, oh, I can't do that, man. That's, that's tarpon season. I'm going to miss too many days. But I mean, that was kind of the deal. Like we said, we were going to help you. You said you were going to help us and that doesn't seem to be happening. So this is, this relationship isn't going to last very long. Right. But you could very easily just buy all your stuff, maybe at a discount and not have to do those kind of things. And that may be a much better situation for people, right. For some people. Right. Um, I think that's a great point. I I mean, I think it's back to, you know, being realistic also. Yeah. Like, like what's your goal? So to your point, you know, the continuum is sort of like, you know, when I start out, I'm paying full retail for everything, or maybe I've got some small deal with a Marina I'm working with or whatever to, you know, some sort of an industry discount to a free goods thing you know, to a true sort of retainer sponsorship. And yeah, the the higher you go in that level, the more expectation that brand has, you, you know, they own a piece of you or they own a a, 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 a percentage of, of the work that you're putting in. So it's sort of like, you know, that comes with the territory. Right. Uh, so I think you're exactly right. It's like, where do I want to end up and what's my end goal? Um, and I've seen it happen. I mean, it's, it's almost comical, you you know, guys have gotten to the point where we reach out and go, Hey, we'll, you know, we'll start you off with a free goods thing. And they do not, in my case, they did not have a rod reel sponsorship. And then they go, now I need some money on top of the free goods. And I'm like, really? Like, well, this is what we're willing to do. And then we'll see how it goes type of thing. And they would refuse, which was really kind (laughs) of like, you're a little bit gift horse in the mouth type thing, but you know, again, I'm, I'm saying be realistic about, you know, what your expectations are and the further you move up in your career and sponsorships, the more effort you have to put in, you know, to all those relationships. So, you know, a lot of younger guys are out there, you know, aspiring to be Kevin Van Dam or Gerald Swindle or someone like that who, you know, each of those guys probably have sponsor relationships with 25, 30 different brands. Um, But what you can't appreciate, unless you know them personally and have spent time with them, is how much work they do um, off the water and year round. 
you know, it, it's amazing how many collective days those guys and number of man hours they put in, um, you, you know, producing content, attending events, whatever it all is on behalf of those sponsors. So, you, you know, those guys work their tails off. And I think the common denominator with guys that have been very, very successful in their careers is that work ethic. Uh, and obviously that translates to fishing too, right? I mean, the, the best anglers typically have the best work ethics because, you know, they're, they're applying a lot of effort to the craft and, and that goes for the sponsorship relationships as well. Yeah. I guess in the bass fishing particularly, but really, you know, I guess there's other types of tournaments kingfish tournaments were real popular for a little while professional redfish tournaments were real popular for a little while and you know it's very competitive uh in bass fishing there are extremely high entry fees to some of these tournaments so the idea of somebody doing one of these tours without any sponsorship is i mean i guess there are probably people that do it you know, they, they put the money out there themselves. They hope they win more than they put out and how much they spend on hotels and food and everything else, including the entry fees. And and maybe they do it with no sponsors at all. But it seems like, you know, that is a very, very, very competitive world with very high expenses. And so it makes a lot of sense for someone like what we were talking about before. Like you might be able to be a very successful fishing guide and never have any kind of sponsor relationships because you don't want them, right? Like you, Mm -hmm. your time is better spent making money on the water than it would be going out to a consumer show or something. And there's tons of people that fit that profile too. But as you move into the bass world, it's like, could you even do it if you didn't have partners and, and relationships that, I mean, you're, you know, Kevin Van Dam's won a lot of tournaments, but he doesn't win every tournament and he doesn't think he's going to win every tournament probably. I mean, there's a realistic expectation that uh, I may have a great year this year. I may not. I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do, but, you know, it comes down to it. It's fishing, right? You may catch them. You may not. Uh, You could have some bad luck. You could have some good luck. You could have whatever. Uh, and, And obviously, you know, some people are, way better at it than other others like Kevin. Right. And you see with his tournament resume, but right. without sponsorship, it's going to be hard for him to make a true living doing what he's doing. So that's one of the incentives for somebody like that to, to seek sponsorship is, well, it's going to be hard for me to do it on my own. Right. Right. And I have a lot to offer all of these uh, companies. Like I'm winning tournaments with their tackle. I believe in their tackle. I have big social media. I have, you know, I'm well-respected, whatever. I have a lot to offer these these companies. So it makes sense that I'm going to engage in this sponsorship relationship. Now, that's coming from the angler's perspective. And the 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 your, your perspective as a manufacturer is like, this guy makes sense. <laughs> what, what you got going on there? <laughs> I've got a wasp attack going on. <laughs> Yeah, that's like like Brian Regan talking about walking into a spider web, watching somebody walk into a spider web from a long way away. <laughs> I, uh, I had my wasp spray out earlier, so they're a little angry with me I right bet. now. Yeah, you saw that one coming for a while. I was watching you. You were checking them out. 
but uh, I, I do think it's kind of interesting that that you know some of these some of these uh, uh, careers, uh, you know, sponsorship is not like a an option. It's it's a hundred percent part of it, and you're only going to be able to fish in all those tournaments if you have partners that are going to support you in it, and then you got to do whatever they're asking of you right. to make right. it a, a, a good relationship. Right. So let me ask you this. What do you think over all your years of, of uh, kind of evaluating sponsorships, what do you think the craziest idea you've ever heard? Somebody thought, you know what? You're going to love this. <laughs> it probably started like that. <laughs> Well, you caught me off guard. I, you know, most of the crazy stuff to me was folks that thought they were going to start a TV show, to be honest <laughs> with you, yourself not included. Well, but, we could have been but there. But I mean, I, I don't recall a lot of really crazy stuff with folks looking for sponsorships. I mean, it was somewhat comical sometimes to just read their, their pitch. <laughs> uh, and I don't remember any specifically, but just sort of how crude some of them tended to be. But I mean, you know, the, the joke that we always said, but it was true. If you went to ICAST, you know, of course, you would see this guy looking around in your booth and then he would find somebody and then they'd start pointing at me (laughs) and you know, they'd come over and go, I, I, I hear you're the marketing guy. And I'm like, uh, yeah. (laughs) They go, I want to talk to you about this, this TV show we're starting. And I just go, I, I would internally roll my eyes, but, but yeah, it was, Of course, every pitch would start with, this is not like any other TV show you've ever seen. (laughs) And then you knew it was coming. (laughs) And and I don't remember a lot of the specifics, but it was, you know, it was anything from from uh, Vegas showgirls to to who knows. Um, But, yeah, it was. You know, it was just amazing how many. And that's the other thing I never could wrap my head around. It's like, well, you you see it today. I mean, with the number of networks available, it's like, how do these folks justify putting this kind of money, you know, into producing a TV show, um, particularly the ones that aren't really very good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, that's easy to do. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to put a lot of money into something and make it and it turn out not very good. I mean, right. really easy. Like if you got the, all the wrong people working for you, nobody's ever been out on the water before. All your cameramen, they've they're oh, I've I've shot you know all this stuff, and and none of them have ever been out on the water, and they all get so sunburned that they blister in the first three hours of the day. Three of them are throwing up. Uh, right. You end up with nothing, you know, and right. and uh, so it's very easy to do that. Um, did you ever did you ever see? Um, gosh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Uh, did you ever see something that, that you thought wasn't going to work and it ended up turning out that it worked pretty, pretty good? (laughs) Uh, 
Boy, you're asking me hard questions. That you know, uh, I'm old. I know. Right? I don't. Have, <laughs> I don't have much of a memory. Um. Well, you know, I think one thing we really started to do was, um, you know, the school of thought was always let's engage as many outdoor writers and media folks and stuff as we can. And it was recommended to me at one point that we spend a fair amount of money, invite a very select few media folks, get a select few of our uh, influencers that we were working with, and you participate on the saltwater side. We did it on the freshwater side. And I was like, man, that's a lot of money. And, and you know, we're really not reaching – I mean, we're kind of relying on a very few people to sort of, uh, you know, do something with this content. And it was a ton of money uh, in relative terms. And that worked really, really well. You know, whereas the, the, the classic school of thought was let's have some event and let's invite a ton of outdoor folks down. And we might have a couple, three of our pros, but it, it turned into more of an entertainment thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas this was a serious, like, and, and you know how it worked because you participated like this writers with you for half a day. And then there with another saltwater guy we were working with or Kevin Van Dam, Gerald on the freshwater side. And my gosh, you would just continue to see whether that was photography or content of, of some form appear for years and years so that might be a good example of one that i was like oh that sounds like a lot of money and a lot of planning you know with not that many folks involved and is this really going to work and it really did Mm -hmm. you know so we did that you know for for quite a few years whereas i knew a lot of other plans like i said kind of did the classic let's get a ton of people down to this thing because we're spending the money anyway you know yeah yeah what do you think the, uh, as we uh, kind of wrap it up here, um, with all the social media now, you know, you see, you said that every pitch once started with, I want to tell you about this TV show. And today it might start with, let me show you my YouTube channel, or I'm right. going to do this. Um, what do you think that the, the future is here? Like, I mean, if you had a crystal ball, like we all hope that we had a crystal ball, like, you know, I'm not saying, do you think that conventional television is, is going away? I don't know if it even matters. Conventional television is probably going to go away, but there's going to be such a fine line that nobody will be able to tell whether they're watching conventional television or digital television or whatever. It'll just be there. Um, But what do you think that the future of, of uh, outdoor sponsorship is well i think it it, you know more of the dollars will be put into content creation and content creators in whatever form that is you know so and i gotta tell you and it and it's and it's bigger to me on the hunting side because the hunting side doesn't have you know competitive organizations right for obvious reasons so you know there is rocky mountain elk foundation qdma you know organizations like that but the the folks that are 
doing a good job outside of the bone collectors of the world and the TV shows are very good content creators, either personally or they've aligned themselves with somebody that is. So, you know, you, you really see a lot of relationships developing now where brands are aligning with folks that can produce really good content, really good edited, tell a story. I mean, all the kind, yeah, I mean, you guys were kind of pioneers, you know, in, in that. Yeah, I mean, you decided very early on, we're going to get the best videographers, you know, production people, editors, you know, we're going to tell a story. We're not just going to catch a bunch of fish. So I, I think it just continues, you know, with the equipment is relatively cheap now, as you know. Right. Um, and the ability to edit at home and do all that stuff, anybody can do it now. That's not a barrier. So it's sort of like now it's sort of the innate talent and and the 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 uh, moxie, the the willingness to do it and compete with all these other guys that are doing it. And if you're a great hunter or a great angler or whatever, and you suck creatively, then find somebody that's good at it. Because that's the only way you're gonna you're gonna you know shine above the rest. So you don't necessarily have to learn how to produce content, how to be an expert at Facebook and Instagram, but you better know somebody that is. Right. And and there's a ton of guys that are paying somebody else to help them, uh, and that's okay. You know nobody cares that. I mean, again, it it, it needs to be genuine though. And I see too many. Um, you know, folks out there that you can, you can just tell by knowing that individual that the content pre being produced is not them and they don't really have a lot to do with it, you know? So, you know, I, I would highly recommend that if you're going to use a partner, make sure that you're intimately involved and it, and it's genuine. It's you, you know, it's your personality. It's they're saying things the way you would say them. Not necessarily you're writing every word or whatever you're doing, but it has to come across as you, uh, or it it falls apart pretty fast. Yeah. So I, I think you know, to, in a nutshell, I think it's the content's going to keep getting better and better, and there's going to be more and more folks coming online that are really good at it, uh, and like you said, it's going to be served up as you know, what was TikTok, you know, right. A year ago. I mean, not that a ton of hunt fish folks are using it, but look at what it's done. So there's just going to keep emerging different delivery vehicles um, that you have to, like we said, you got to adapt to. But but I, I still, I, I really believe, I could be dead wrong, but I really believe in this category being such a passion enthusiast category. I'm talking mainly hunt fish now that traditional media will still have its place. There's still going to be people that want to watch TV in whatever form. Like we said, they're going to consume print it might be digital print or, or something like that, but they're going to consume media. You know, there's still a lot of catalogs published, whether that's retail catalogs or whatever, and people like them. So I think that's what separates our our industry from a lot is it's still a very 
I'd call it down home, relatively unsophisticated from, I mean, that's the appeal of it in a lot of ways, even though there's trail cameras that send you pictures with your cell phone <laughs> and all the technology we have. Uh, it's still that sort of, I just want to get away from it all vibe to it. And, and I think that's a lot of why some of the tradition of the way things have done still hold up, even though a big part of it has changed rapidly. Yeah. It's interesting. So when, you know, today there's a lot of really shiny things out there, whether that's a television show or uh, a new YouTube channel or one that's getting, you know, 70, hundred million views on some, some video or, you know, a lot of shiny things. Maybe it's TikTok, right? So how, how do you, as a company, um, or how would a company kind of value a sponsorship relationship where, yeah, you got, you got 90 million views on this video. But either my product wasn't used or it was used in a way that, you know, I'm not real proud of, or I don't think we sold anything because of that. Right. Like where, where do you draw the line on what's successful and is it, is it the, just the number of views or is it another metric that, that you're looking at? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, there are things that you're going to do that have a very specific methodology of how you're going to convert somebody. Right. I mean, and you're going to be able to track it all the way through. So, you know, let's just say as an example, you're going to, you know, serve up some content that might be using one of your influencers that as a result of that content, there's some promo code attached to it. They're going to click through and you can follow them all the way through and you can go, you know, and, and that was, you know, let's say it was paid social and you said, I spent a grand on that and I sold $5,000 worth of stuff. That's a five to one, which honestly isn't that great in today's world, but you're doing what you're typically going to be doing is doing a lot of those over a planned calendar. And one's going to be 20 to one. One's going to be two to one. And you got to go, okay, I got to start doing more of those 20 to ones. And we're not going to do that two to one anymore. But, but then you got to start getting creative of it can't all be the same. So whatever was effective with that one, that was a 20 to one, return you're trying to figure out how to do things similar right Mm -hmm. so you you know there's there's kind of that side of it but the other side of it and i would have been the first to say in fact the best example is when the the guggen squad first started doing their thing five young guys or whatever sort of doing more irreverent social media based things not really sponsored, you know, and they're generating much bigger audiences. Well, I, I, I looked at it a year or so ago. Some of those guys had a million followers. Mike Iaconelli, Kevin Van Dam had a hundred thousand followers, 10 to one. And you're going, I don't get it. And again, I'm an old guy, right? <laughs> so I even get it less, but there were brands like Favorite Fishing and whatnot who spent a ton of money with those kinds of guys 
And that's just the best example I can come up with. But it was a little bit of leap of faith because they weren't in a direct sense. It's almost like that was their shtick, right? I'm I'm not brand centric. I'm 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 creating my own persona. I'm the hero. And yet I happen to be using these things. And, you know, I don't but there were brands willing to investment spend with very unique delivery vehicles that I think would look back on it today and go, that was a good spend. Um, whereas very traditional companies like a Zebco, probably a pure fishing, uh, would, would look at something like that at least then and go, we're not touching that with a 10 foot bowl. Um, so I think as it moves forward, you're going to see those kinds of things emerge, whatever those things are. And there's going to be those companies that take a leap of faith and investment spend against them. And it might work and it might not. And then there's going to be those, those other things that are much more predictable that I was talking about before that, you know, you can really measure results a little bit more traditional. And I feel like, you know, marketing's getting harder in a sense because there's so many things you can do. And there is a little bit of that, or we, we can't be in a rut here. We got to, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of our marketing mix that maybe we got to take some chances. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know what those are. And we, nobody, none of us do. Right. <laughs> but but it's, there's a lot of smart people out there. They're going to continue to create new opportunities and new delivery vehicles. And some brands are going to align with that and be very successful. And, and, and some aren't. So. Well, and some will make the right choice and some, some will make the wrong choice. And both of those choices will seem, you know, maybe if you got like a, you know, one YouTube channel versus another YouTube channel, you decide to go with this one. That's kind of like the, 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 what is it? What was it? Blu-ray and, and HD DVD. Like they were basically about the same. You place your bet on one of them. It might turn out to be the one that wins out or it might not, you know? And, and I think that um, like those, you know, you have companies that may choose the right one and other companies that are making the same choice. Like this is, we're going to go in this, this direction. And now we're going to pick between these two people and one of them is going to win out and one of them is not. And, you know, so they basically made the same choice. Like we're going to move away from this other thing that we've been doing for a long time. We're going to go over here, but then they don't make the right choice on that side. You know, interesting. Um, Well, listen, man, last thing I'd say is is whether you're on the influencer side you want to get sponsorships or you're a manufacturer some of the most effective pieces of content I've ever seen done had nothing to do with fishing or hunting or that brand in a sense Hmm. you know and so I think because there's so much content out there now you know, you're really smart to think about doing whether that's family oriented things or, you know, things that relate to the sport, but aren't hardcore. This is how you tie a knot. This is how you fish lure and mix some of that stuff in. And I've, you know, some of the pros or folks that we work with, the folks that generated the biggest audiences did a great job of that. It's sort of like you were, 
living vicariously through them. And they did a really great job of, you know, reminiscing about their childhood or whatever it all was. And, and we saw a lot of the content that we did. Some of the best performing content was some of the stuff furthest afield, hmm. you, you know, because it was, it, it stood out in, instead of, Oh, here, here comes the next knot tying video. <laughs> you, know, so. you know, I have a big, big bunch of knot tying videos, don't you? Yes, I know. <laughs> Are you, you talking about me? <laughs> You would probably win the knot tying contest. <laughs> I, I always said that about fly fishermen. Uh-huh. I always said, he who can dress up in the coolest stuff and tie the most knots wins. Well, most people tie the knots while they're casting, you know, uh, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I appreciate your uh, your candor and your willingness to share your knowledge, and I, I sincerely hope that this goes a long way for young anglers that are looking to looking to do something. Man, it's a confusing time, and for older guys that that you know they wonder if I should, you know, is it too late for me to start a YouTube channel? Is it too late for me to start an Instagram? And I think the overwhelming answer uh, for this conversation is no, it's not. And if you're waiting, you're you're missing the bus, you know, you're, you're, right. you're, you're you falling need to, further behind. Yeah. I mean, look at Roland Martin, what he's done. It's pretty cool. Really. Uh, you know, he, he started a YouTube channel just a couple of years ago and you right. know, he's all into it. And I talked to Jimmy Houston and it was the same kind of thing. He was like, I asked him about his YouTube and he was like, Oh, I think that's the future, you know? And, and, right. uh, he's, you know, all in and, um, yeah. and it's, it's people like that, that, they, those guys were the pioneers and they can, right. they can recognize it. And both of those guys maybe recognizing it a little bit later, kind of holding on to the traditional right. a little longer than maybe they should have, but they still, neither one of them are dumb. They would not be where they are right now if they, right. you know, made it a habit of ignoring something that is obviously very valuable. And both of them right. are like, yeah, that's where that's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing that. And maybe right. I'm a little late to the party, but that doesn't mean I'm going to miss the party entirely. Right. And I thought that was and pretty it's cool. Very inexpensive. Very, you know that in the old days, the barrier was I didn't have enough money to start a TV show. Who who I, did? I had to. I had to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to find sponsors in order to afford to do what I was trying to do. Now there isn't that barrier. I mean, it. Well, it's yeah, that, you, that barrier still gonna, exists on TV. But what right. you're saying is that YouTube or or yes. some other places kind of allow the, the gates open, and you can put exactly. stuff there. You know, podcasts are the same way. You can start a podcast for zero dollars, and, right. and you know, maybe a, a a ten dollar hosting fee a month, and you're right. you're in business, and you might have you. It's up to you whether you make that really super successful or not. But right. when I started the TV show, me and Rich started, um, there were gatekeepers at the networks. And and there was a major, even if they said it was okay, now you got to come up with a half a million dollars to get started. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. what am I going to do? You know, if I, even if I put a mortgage on the house, it wasn't going to get that kind of money, you know? So it was a different world. And, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of led us to the world of sponsorship of where we can't do this alone. This is to your point of this is where we want to go. And this is the only way we're going to get there. So we need right. to learn this game as fast as possible. And, you know, people right. like yourself and, and others were, um, patient enough. I mean, like, I thought it was funny. I almost started laughing right away when you were talking about, 
well, I tell people to send me a proposal. Well, you told me that one time and I was like, God, I got to get to Walden Books and find that idiot guide for writing proposals because I don't even know what that is. You know, and I'm calling my dad and I'm like, Dad, somebody told me to write him a proposal. What is that? He's like, yeah. well, uh, I don't know what he wants to see, but I think it's as easy as you tell him what you want to do. And you tell him what you want for it. You're proposing something to him. I'm like, I'm still lost. <laughs> I still don't get it. But somehow we made it work. Somehow we made well, it work. Well, to y'all's credit, you know, you guys, and we worked together for a long time. You know, you really did see the writing on the wall. And, and you did a great job of, you know, out of necessity of, of adapting to the changing world. And, and you were on the leading edge of trying to figure that out so you didn't let it happen to you. And there's too many examples of folks that went, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to do it. And they wrote it to the end. Right. And, and now they're no longer doing what they want to do because they, they weren't, you know, they didn't have the foresight and, 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 you know, obviously you, you learn to do things today that you had no idea how to do 10, 15 years ago. Or, or, or didn't exist. What we're doing right now didn't even right. exist. Right. You know? Right. Or you found the right folks to work with. Exactly. That, that were experts. And there's plenty of those around. Yeah. That's a good, that's really maybe, maybe the best advice that I heard you give the whole time is that, you know, if you don't know how to do something, that is not your limitation. There are plenty of people that know how to do whatever it is. You know, hopefully, I guess it could be the other way. You could have some aspiring filmmaker listening to this and they're right. not the best fishermen. So if you want to make content for the fishing or hunting industry, then you need to align yourself with an awesome hunter who may not right. be so good at making content or vice versa. And then you become this team and you could go out there and do Amazing things, but I don't mean to interrupt, but can you see who's calling me right now? Hey, let's get him on here. <laughs> get him on here. Let's don't. Let's we'll don't. Never, we'll never get off. Go. All right. Have you well, ever seen for a the, five hour podcast? For, for the audio listener, Bill Dance is calling my friend Bob Bagby, and I was hoping he would put him on here, but he's probably right. We're already approaching an hour and twenty six minutes, and we would definitely be here for another five hours. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but Bob, I'll let you get to Bill Dance, and um, and that's a that's a testament to uh, also one thing that we could also all take away from this is how long you've been working with Bill Dance, or did you start? Almost my entire career. I mean, and I so, would say, I, I would say, inclusive of what I'm doing now, it's pushing thirty years as well. So, thirty year relationship. You're out of the business now. You're no longer doing that. And you're still getting personal calls from people that you worked with before. And I think that stands testament to how a relationship should work between a sponsorship is that, you know, he feels like you, you became friends more so than, than yeah. work, yeah. just working together. And then there's a mutual respect and then there's a lot of communication that goes on there. So that's right. a lot to be learned just from, just from right. that, that 30 years later, he's calling you while you're, while you're, uh, you know, hanging out at your ranch. Yeah, and that's the last thing I would tell folks is this industry, what I've typically seen is most of the folks in it are pa personally passionate about it, and it turns into personal relationship. I, it's still a business, but I mean, the best relationships end up being both professional and personal, and there's a mutual respect, and and that's typically what you'll see, you, you know, so you, you're not trying to 
suck up to somebody, but if it, you, you know, you'll know it when it happens. And, and that ends up being the best relationships is it, it, it's both becomes more of a friendship, more of a, a family feel than it does a business relationship. Right on. Well, that's what we all aspire to. So Bob, thanks so much. And uh, you guys can check out Bob's uh, consulting business, Lone Arrow. He's he wanted it to be Lone Wolf, but that one was already taken. So it's Lone yeah, Arrow, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can follow him on Instagram. But again, Bob Bagby, he's got a tremendous uh, amount of experience with all types of sponsorships, and I really appreciate you uh, giving us some of that knowledge. And um, it's been a great pleasure to work with you over the years, and um, I wish you all the best with Lone Arrow. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And the next time I'm in the Keys, I expect to see you. Right on. We will do it. I'll take you to the same place I took you the first time. You mean the gar hole? The gar hole. <laughs> That's where I take all the people that I'm afraid they're going to send that, tell tell other people all my spots. No. Uh -huh. I think the first time was the uh, was the guppy hatch uh, west of Key West, and I'm pretty sure that you uh, you did pretty well. That wasn't the first time, but I still tell that story. That was the most epic tarpon bite ever in the history of tarpon bites and you called it that was the amazing part you said this is going to happen as we got out there at daylight and didn't see a single tarpon i'm like yeah right yeah seeing this and story before suddenly it was on it was on and uh and i remember that that was a good day um yeah all right well we'll have some more good days and bob thank you i hope you enjoy your day at the ranch and tell bill that we all said hello i will do that all right see you buddy all right. Yep, see you.